in today's show. It's kind of like having kids. Like when you have kids, you've got to put your kids in there and make sure that they are taken care of. And in, in much the same way, every single day, I'm, I'm making sure that the people that are around me are taken care of, the employees, the team, the leadership, making sure that they are taken care of. Because if I take care of them at a really high level, I can promise you they are going to take care of their team. They're going to take care of the customers. As long as they feel support from me at the CEO level, I, I'm at the point now of not managing people. I'm managing processes. And so that's the big, the big difference there. You're going to go through all these different steps that, you know, Jason has talked about on, on other podcasts. And I know I'm getting kind of winded here. Just feel free to jump in. But I mean, do, do you kind of see where I'm going with all that? Absolutely. I, I, what I'm taking away from that is you got to bet on yourself. And then at some point, you got to manage processes, not people. I love it. In today's ultra competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Welcome back to another episode of The Root of All Success. Hey, I'm the real Jason Duncan, and thank you. I want to say thanks for, for joining me on the show, whether you're listening to this on a podcast player or you're watching this on YouTube. If you're watching it, hello. <laughs> nice to see you. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for subscribing, leaving reviews. And I know I've said this before, but leaving those reviews, leaving the comments, hitting the subscribe button, um, that, that really helps me, helps the show, because... It doesn't just make me feel good that people like it, but it gets the show out there in front of more people. So if you could do that, that would be phenomenal. I've got a great guest on the show for you today. It's Matt Pridemore. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this guy, but let me talk about Matt Pridemore. Matt Pridemore and I met through a uh, marketing agency that both of us use have used in the past to help us with our uh, our businesses and our own podcast. I was a guest on, on Matt's podcast not too long ago as he got it started. But this guy's got an interesting background. He was a professional baseball umpire for many years and then got into the furniture sales business, working for a retail furniture store and became one of the top salespeople in the country, was killing it, and then decided, you know, hey, I want to go open my own store. I'm going to do my own thing. And so in 2016, he purchased his first store. And then 2017, he added two more. In 2018, he added four more. In 2019, he added four more. In 2020, he added four more. And then just the day before the day I've recorded this show, he bought another one. So the guy's killing it in the furniture business. And he's got a next big adventure coming on sales training for furniture salespeople. So, um, you know, most of the entrepreneurs I've talked to on this show are are founders of companies rather than uh, acquirers of franchises. And so franchises can be seen as just business ownership, but it also can be seen as entrepreneurship, which I think Matt fits squarely into because he took big risks. He bet on himself 
and he built an amazing empire in the furniture business. He's a great guy. He was uh, voted for top 40 under 40, 40 by Home Furnishing Business Magazine. And in 2021, had three of the top 10 stores in the country, including the number one store in the country, winning the President's Cup. So please help me welcome Matt Pridemore to the show. Well, Matt, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for coming in and talking to me today. I sincerely appreciate you asking me to be a guest after you were a guest on mine and uh, excited to roll with you. Podcasting is such a great thing, man. I, I don't. I think we were introduced through our uh, mutual marketing company that we both work work with, and and uh, you know, you were just starting a podcast not too long ago, and I was a guest on yours. And now I'm going to get to hear your story. And the listeners that are driving in their cars or walking their dogs or out for a jog today, they're going to get to listen to the story of Matt Pridemore and how he became successful. So let's start here, man. So where where are you where are you you're in one of the Carolinas, right? Where are you at? Well, I based myself out of Valdosta, Georgia, okay. and uh, so so I've got stores across the southeast, and uh, uh, but I, I do consider myself. My family lives in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, so I'm I'm back and forth between South Georgia, Mobile, and all of my stores across the southeast. I don't know why I had Carolina on my mind. I guess that's they make a lot of furniture in Carolinas, right? They do. They definitely do. And you're in the furniture business, which we're going to talk a whole lot about today. So I love it. Well, you know, in the in the intro, I talked about that you were a, a professional baseball umpire, and I, I, that has nothing to do with business or entrepreneurship. But it is very, it is curious. Um, every once in a while, I watch TikTok videos about bad umpires, <laughs> and I watch you know how how terrible they make calls and stuff, and how the sure. parents, you know, if it's a youth league, you know, the parents are uh, screaming and yelling. I have a I have a story that you I, I, when I was a teenager in high school, I went and got my umpire's license or whatever certificate, whatever it was, and I umpired behind the plate one time <laughs> once and the parents were relentless and as it i told i told the guy in charge i said i'm done i'm never doing this again so how did you get into umpiring i get it mine was actually very much the same way i was playing baseball in middle school and high school and um had some free time in the summer after my 10th grade year and i uh, needed some money and uh you know literally just kind of jumped into it and and really enjoyed it got kind of you know, I'm I'm five eight, and uh, I, I realized pretty pretty quickly that that I wasn't going to be playing baseball at the college or professional level, and uh, so you know, getting in an umpiring little league is is what I did. I made good money with it, had a lot of fun with it, and started to learn some life lessons really quick. Had the parents jumping all over me. You know, I'm I'm 15, 16, and you know these parents that I I knew and respected and were you know I, I grew up in a really small community in South Georgia. And um, so, you know, I had been around these kids and, and then jumping into umpire uh, kind of saw a different light with, uh, with the way some of them acted towards me. So how did you become a professional? So that's a that, great question. So I, was, I continued to kind of umpire in the summers while I was in high school. And by the time I got to my senior year, um, I told my dad, I said, I, I, think, uh, I think I'm going to, you know, I, I really want to take this a step further. And maybe see if I could umpire in, you know, college ball. And, and those guys were making some decent money. And I said, you know, how does somebody even get into like minor league baseball and work their way up the ladder? And once I kind of did some research, I saw that Major League Baseball puts on a, a school in Florida once per year, five, five, six weeks long. 
And um, I said, I think I want to go do that instead of running right into college. And my dad laughed and said, no, you need to go get a, you know, go get your degree and go get a real job and all the, you know, the, the typical things that we, the, that I heard from, from parents, you know, in the, in the early two thousands. And uh, I, I said, well, I'm going to go do the umpire thing. And he said, no, I, you don't need to do that. And uh, so I did it. And um, I, <laughs> So I, I was I was one of the lucky ones, you know, 19 years old, running out there and uh, going through the school and and being able to to make it into uh, into the lowest rungs of the minor leagues, and then just you know starting to work my way up through the through the system, and uh, was was lucky enough and and got some good breaks along the way to uh, to be able to to be you know recommended to go down to winter ball. So once you finish your regular season, whether you're a player, a manager. Uh, umpire, you finish your regular season, uh, you could go to winter ball, which is either going to be Dominican Republic, um, Venezuela, Colombia, uh, Puerto Rico. And so I went to Colombia uh, two different years and um, had a lot of fun with that and just, you know, moved my way towards major leagues. And that's, that's what it was all about. And in 2000, the end of the 2009 season, I, I got three concussions and, um, uh, basically, you know, medically released from baseball. And, um, so I, I had literally everything in front of me, had a lot of fun, had a great tour through, through baseball. And, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the way it happened, but it taught me so many life lessons of, you know, being young, young, you know, in my early twenties and being able to, to be paid to move all around the, all around the U S uh, for, for a number of years. Wow. So I got to ask, what, what is the worst call you ever made? I know you remember it. What was it? <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, uh, so I was, I was in the low minor leagues. I, I, I was actually uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. Funny that you brought up Carolina a minute ago, but um, really, really close bang, bang uh, play at first. I mean, probably the closest play I've ever had in my life. It was the Red Sox minor league team there, the Greenville drive. And, um, you know, I, I saw it, I, I was really quick on my feet and, um, I, I gave the biggest, you know, heave ho and the, the biggest out mechanic I'd ever got given. And I said, he's safe as I gave an out mechanic and, um, and all the players were just stunned. Nobody knew what to do or, or how to react. You know, the, they're, they're like, well, you, you motioned for out, you said safe. And what does that mean? So I had both managers run out of the dugout and he was like, you know, is he safe? Is he out? What's going on? And I'm like, all right, we're going to go without here. And they're like, no, you said safe. And, you know, I knew whichever way it would have gone. Uh, I, I was, I was going to have to throw somebody out of the game. Um, that, that manager was actually Gabe Kapler that now manages for the San Francisco giants. And uh, he, he had played a number of years in the major leagues and, and uh, you know, we, we can laugh about it now, but, but that was probably, uh, you know, saying safe and getting the out mechanic was not a fun day in Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> okay. That's a good story. <laughs> I like it a lot. So now let's get, let's turn to business. Cause that's what the show, the root of all success is all sure. about. It's about how, do, how do we become successful? How did you become successful? So let's, let me ask you this, you, in your, in your bio that I read at the, at the top of the show, you were working after you left umpiring, you were working in the furniture business as a salesperson for a furniture retail furniture chain. And had you, you did really, really well. As I said, you drove sales, 25% increases twice, um, including six out of the top 10 stores and over 400 stores in the country, country, number one store in the company in 2015. How did you, 
how did you make that natural? Okay. I was an umpire and now I'm a great salesperson selling furniture. How did that, how did that happen? I, I just enjoy the whole, the, the whole sales aspect. And I had always heard, you know, um, sales is everything in life and there, you know, every aspect of life, there is something that can be said about sales. And for me, even coming from umpiring, the first thing that we learned there is sell your call. If it's a really close place, sell your call. So I'm, I'm selling myself to, to the fans, to the coaches, to the players. Da, 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 da. So that kind of stayed in my mind as I jumped into furniture. And, um, you know, so I was constantly trying to tell my story at a really high level. I was constantly trying to make sure that I was selling my ideas to the, to the people that were around me and jumping into the role, you know, a, a quick little spurt of, uh, being a sales associate and then a quick spurt of being a, a, a store manager and then right into being a, 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 in a regional capacity there for, for five years from, from 2010 to 2015 was that, you know, I was talking to different store owners and store managers um, down there along the Gulf Coast and, and really selling who I was and what I could do to, to, to really bring them value. I think that that's the biggest key for me is figuring out every one of those store managers that I was covering when I got into the regional role was, you know, how can I bring them value on a daily basis? I was going to figure out, be able to look at their business, see what they could do just a little bit better. And if I could find a few of those things and bring them a little bit of value and, and show them the why behind what we're doing, then, uh, you know, we, we're going to, we're going to do, be able to do some special things. And, and that's kind of where the, the basis to every bit of that took off. So who were you, uh, who were you selling to? Were you selling just retail or are you selling to businesses? I think you were kind of talking about, about both. Correct. As a sales associate selling to customers, customers would come in just uh, retail furniture. Um, and so, you know, figuring out connections, I, you know, the networking side of life, I, you know, uh, I've heard several of your podcasts and everybody talks about the, the networks that, that you build within, within you know, within, within your little network. And, and I just looked at, you know, me selling furniture as a microcosm of that and finding ways to build connections with the people that were walking in the front doors and and figuring out, you know, what their needs were and taking care of their needs. And, and uh, they came in with an issue, with a problem. Uh, maybe it was that they needed a, a new house full of furniture. Maybe it was one or two little pieces, but that I said, you know, it, once we sold that, that particular customer that we created a relationship that it wasn't just a, you know, open the sale, close the sale, be done. It was that we were creating relationships there, creating networks there. And, you know, that the, those couple of months that, that I was in, in that capacity, um, you know, I just figured if I can take it from a sale level, or a sales associate level that I could take it to a store manager level, do the same type thing, and then take it to a regional level. And it was just a, a, a quick step through all three of those. So when you're, you're umpiring, um, I'm going to ask a personal question here. So when you're umpiring, how, how much does an umpire make on an annual basis? Uh, and, and obviously I guess there's different minor leagues, major leagues, but what, what, what were you making yeah. as an umpire? I'm not, not a whole lot of money. Um, so in in the early minor leagues, you're making about twenty five hundred a month, and you're you're away from your family for many months at a time. And um, so once you hit the first year of the major leagues, you're going to make about one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand, something like that. And you're going to get some per diem on top of that. But those guys top out 
you know, around 300,000 a year is, is about where they're at uh, in the major leagues. So you went from making, uh, you said not uh, to use your phrase, not a lot of money. And then you, you got concussions, had to leave the umpire and you start selling. If you're the number one salesperson in the furniture business, uh, sure. I'm going to guess you're still, I don't know. I have no concept. I don't know if you're making 300,000 or 50,000. What, yeah, like, what was the uh, jump in your income when you went to, yeah, you know? I, I went from, I went from about 30, 30,000, 30, 35,000 a year, you know, in, in the minor leagues to, um, when, when I jumped into, uh, into sales, I, I went to about 90, I think it was about 85, 90,000 back then. Yeah. Wow. So you, so you're tripling, you know, almost tripling your income going into sales. And then you realize, wait a minute, I'm really good at this. And you enjoyed the furniture business. And then in 2016, you decide to take the leap into business ownership, which was taking a risk. You know, now you're not sure. just going to be selling it. You're going to be buying it and then reselling it. So exactly. why did you make that decision? Um, I think a lot of it comes back to when I was a regional manager, uh, you know, so I, I had 17 stores down on the Gulf Coast that I covered and those, all of those stores were independently owned. And I saw the value that I was being able to bring to those store owners and to those managers. And I said, well, if I can do it for them, then I can do it for myself. And, um, you know, that, that last year, t- 2015, we had six of the top 10 stores in the entire company, including the number one store uh, out of 400 stores. And I said, well, I, I think we're onto something here. And I was willing to kind of bet on myself. I knew that first year of me buying my first store, I wasn't going to be making six figures or anywhere close to six figures. Um, but I, I just kind of had a long-term vision of saying, you know, I want continued growth. And I don't just want growth for me. I want to build a team around us. That, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna go big on this thing and and build this thing up. And uh, so that that decision I made in July of fifteen finally came to fruition January of sixteen. Six months later, when I bought my first store, moved from the Gulf Coast over to Georgia, and uh, and and started that side of, of business ownership life. So just when you bought myself, yeah. So you bet on yourself, and I love that. And and I think that's kind of the. That's the theme I think we're going to hear throughout the rest of this story is that betting on yourself, whether you're doing it through franchising, startup, you know, inventing something, you know, that's the key to success. One of the keys to success anyway is betting on yourself, taking that risk. That's what an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur is someone who takes risk that other people are not willing to take with the expectation of a a favorable return. So when you bought that store, I'm going to assume it was Badcock because that's what you own now. And and is that who you were selling for during the... Okay. So you're selling for Badcock Home Furniture and more. And you lived in the uh, the Gulf Coast area in Alabama and you said, I'm going to buy my own store, but the only store that you could buy to open was in Valdosta, Georgia. So that's why you moved the, over to Georgia. The, the, one, the one that I found that I, it, it wasn't going to cost me, you know, a, a crazy amount to get into. Um, I saw that it had a ton of upside potential in it. And, um, you know, I think the combination there of saying, okay, th- this one is one of those that I think is a diamond in the rough type thing. And I had looked all over. I was willing to move, you know, Badcock is, is across the Southeast, seven Southeastern states. And I had looked at stores in every area and I said, okay, this is a diamond in the rough. We can get this one to number one, the quickest. Um, and it's, it's probably going to cost me the least to, to get into because it's, it's not, it's not doing high numbers right now. Yeah. So you bought, so you bought an existing store and then you turned it around and then, and then the very next year 
you bought two more. The next year you bought four more. The next year you bought four more. The next year you bought four more. And then just recently here in 22, uh, just yesterday, actually, before the day we were recording, you you just bought another one. So um, it must be really good, dude. I mean, obviously (laughs) to buy that many stores, are you uh, like, yeah, it's listen. The one thing I know about furniture is this. It's expensive. I know that, but I, but I, but I one one time, I guess it was back in 2009, maybe 10, nine, maybe my wife and I went to the, there's a big furniture show in Tupelo, Mississippi. I, you probably know about this. Oh yeah. And I went, uh, I went and we, we had a friend of ours who was the, who was in the furniture business and we had just moved into a new house and we needed new furniture. He said, Hey man, use my credentials, go down there and just, if they'll sell you something, you can bring it home. So I rented a U-Haul and took my truck with the expectation and dude, the markup on furniture, I never, I had no idea. Now I'm not trying to give away your secrets. I think everybody kind of no, knows what it is, sure. but, but it's, 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 so the margins in furniture are quite, quite good. So if you're doing, if you got 16 stores and you're killing it, man, life's a lot better than calling people safe when they're out. Right. <laughs> It's it's kind of funny. I, I've got several friends that are still in the major leagues. We we talk a pretty good bit, and uh, yeah, we we're, we're doing we're doing much better than uh, than we could have anticipated. Uh, you know, on that front, that besides calling you know ball strike safe out, yeah, it's it's much better. Yeah, yeah, and a lot more freedom too. Well, yeah, and that is, isn't that what it's all about? I mean, when you're a baseball umpire or you're working in the corporate world, you have to be somewhere at a certain time every day. You got to listen to other people and do certain things. That's the beauty of business ownership is that business ownership allows us the freedom to design a life around the way we want to live and do what we want to do. And and I love I love hearing stories like yours that, hey, I bought a store because I thought I could do it. I took the risk and man, it, it has paid off. So let me ask you this question, Matt. What do you what do you think? uh, the word success means, what, do, what does that mean to you? Oh, I, I think it can mean so many different things, but specifically to me and to my story success, um, because of the way that I, I, I'm building my organization, um, success means a continued growth, uh, not only for me, but for the people that are around me and that, uh, for the, the each year we're going to, to re reevaluate what success looks like. And uh, I, I, when, when I look at success, I don't want it to, if, if it's only me that is growing, then I don't consider that successful. If the people around me are growing, I consider that successful. So I, I would say continued growth, not only for me, but for the, the entire organization. Hey, we're going to take a quick break from today's episode to bring you our sponsor, Dub. That's D-U-B-B. I've been a fan of Dub and those guys over there since they started this app. And they now have 65,000 companies, not just users, companies using this app worldwide. What is Dub? Dub is a video creation, distribution, and tracking tool for your email. It is an amazing way to send emails that actually get open, read, and acted upon. So typing, you know, that's old. We're going to start recording videos. This is a video world. Dub is the place for you to record all those videos and share them through your email to get more conversions, more action, more people clicking and watching things. They have a Chrome extension, a desktop app, a mobile app. It integrates directly with LinkedIn. Imagine trying to get access to somebody on LinkedIn. You send a message and they don't respond. But if you send a video right in the program, they don't have to leave LinkedIn to see it. Dub integrates directly. You can create, share, track 
track videos with Dub. And you can even put it into your favorite project management tool, Asana. Remember, shooting a video is a lot easier than typing. Imagine being able to do that right through your project management tool. Dub even transcribes your videos. And I know we were working on a project recently. We needed transcription done. And I thought, oh yeah, that's right. Dub does it. So you just drop the video in Dub, transcribes it for you. It also integrates directly with YouTube. So you can share an action item in a YouTube video. So like a link where people can click in a YouTube video. So you take your YouTube video, drop it into Dub, and then Dub does the rest. And you don't lose your views on YouTube. That's the best part about that. YouTube still collects all those views, even if it went through Dub. Listen, you need to go use Dub. You can get two weeks for free and 50% off your first two months by using this link, therealjasonduncan.com slash dub. That's therealjasonduncan.com slash dub. Make sure you go and check that out. And by the way, they also have a dub-powered video landing page. So you can optimize your social profile on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. Check it out. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash dub. You won't be disappointed, I promise. Now, let's go ahead and get back to the show. Well, with that as a definition, uh, do you consider yourself to be a successful person? I do. I do. I really do. The, the cool thing that I've got going on is, um, you know, I, you, you talk some about the, the exit strategies and things like that. And my personal exit strategy is I'm training the people who, and it's, it's funny, you talked about um, uh, people, people that are employees of yours becoming business owners and it, that type of thing does not always work out. And it really made me kind of reevaluate some of the ways that I was doing things a couple of months ago. But there, there, there are people that can be business owners that, that do work for you. I think that there's two different avenues there to go down. And so I've got people that are, that are in my organization that are going to own stores that we currently own right now that I'll be selling those to them at some point. But there are also people that are on a completely different uh, avenue that, you know, we are continuing to make sure that they grow their, their continued training, their continued, you know, whether it's bigger sales numbers or, um, you know, having other people that are under them, um, uh, moving people into management, moving people into different, different stores. But it, it's just a, a constantly evolving cycle that happens for the entire organization. And I think we've been very successful with that. We've had our bumps in the road. All organizations do. But I think that's part of growth is, is being able to overcome those, those bumps in the road. Well, I love, I love the definition that, you know, success is just continued growth. And I think that one of the interesting things about success for entrepreneurs, and you probably would agree with me, Matt, is that, you know, goals grow as entrepreneurs, you say, Hey, you know, when you started out, I just want to get this one store. I want to take this diamond in a rough and actually polish it and make it shine. I want to be the number one store or whatever. And you, and you had that goal and you did it, but you didn't go, okay, I did it. I'm done. Like, then it was like, oh, I want to buy a couple more stores. And you did that. I want to buy four more stores. And you did that. I want to buy four more stores. So, so that, that what, what you're telling me in your definition of success is actually exemplified in how you've lived your life over the last you know, seven, eight years, because you're actually doing the thing you want to be successful at, which is continue to grow. So you're growing uh, and you're, how many, how many employees across your 16 stores? Do you know what the number is? I think we're right up. We're right up against uh, either just over a hundred now. So I think we've got yeah. either a hundred, 110, something like that. Yeah, and, it's, it's, and that's a significant number. I mean, I, for, for entrepreneurs out there who are aspiring and listening to this show today, 
you know, hiring your first two or three employees is, is always daunting. You don't know what you're doing. When you get to 20, things completely change in your business because you're no longer in control of the culture uh, as much as you were before. And then at a hundred, oh my gosh, I mean, things. So you're, you're helping not only yourself grow, but a hundred other souls and families grow. And I love that when I ask you, are you successful? You said, yes. I love it because you have a very clear definition of what it means and how to get there. And I, and this is the root of all success. We're talking with Matt Pride, more owner of 16 Badcock and more for, uh, Badcock home furnishings and more. And I, and he is successful. So why do you, what do you think the secret to your success is? How did you become successful? Um, I think being deeply ingrained in the culture, you just hit on that early on. And, you know, people heard our story over and over. Um, you know, when, when I first got started, I poured every bit of savings I had into that one store in about Austin. By the time, you know, we had we had paid for some rehab, we had hired some some employees. I was, you know, I was I was managing that store myself. Um, and I was living in the break room. Uh, we put a, you know, we had a, we had a shower in there and, you know, I hired another guy, uh, Corey Sauer. Uh, I, I've got two people, uh, Corey Sauer and Angel Burkett. And both of them are my right-hand people. We, we're, you know, the, we're the leaders of the pack of our organization. And Corey and I had worked for Ashley Furniture together up in New York while I was in, in the off season of baseball, uh, early 2000s. And Corey uh, had had uh, moved down to, to Georgia and had you know moved around to a few stores and and so I called him and said hey man I'd love for you to come on board but you know it was kind of a dream of ours that we were going to get this store together so he you know about six months I said look I'm going to get this thing started in January I know I can't afford to pay you when when I first start I mean I'm I'm literally going to be biting my fingernails to you know to get this thing going get it off the ground but you know by about September of 2016, he came on board and I said, all right, we, we not only do we have to build the culture within uh, within the organization, we also have to tell our story about building that culture so that the people that come on board with us realize we weren't just some millionaires from out of town coming in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think I think entrepreneurs underestimate the power of that story. Tell um, your story. Yeah. Really hot every day. Keep telling it. But so that when you get to the size that we're at now, even the people that weren't part of it, when, when, you know, people that have come on board in the last two or three years, they weren't part of that early, early culture, but because all the other people in the organization have heard it and have seen it and knew that we were part of it, you know, they want to be part of that also. And I think that's one of the really cool pieces. Well, that's how we connect. I mean, if you think back to the, the to Jesus, I, who I'm a follower of Jesus and, and the greatest teacher ever to walk the earth. How did he teach? He taught in stories and stories are the way we remember things is the way we connect with things. It's the, it's why we like social media so much because it's, it's people telling stories, even though they're short and they might be funny or terrible or, or ironic, we connect with stories. And so if we're going to, as entrepreneurs build great businesses and we're going to build businesses that have good culture, which is required, we got to tell the story. So I love that you're telling the story now and you're telling it to your 110th employee when he or she is hired to say, Hey, let me tell you how this thing started. I've been in this business X number of years. When I started this business, I lived, see that break room over there. I, I, that was my house. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. I, this was my living room. I had all the couches and lazy boys. This, 
<laughs> to sit on. <laughs> I can sit anywhere, sleep anywhere, but this is where I lived. And, and you're part of that story now. And I, I love that. So what, what else do you think is the key to your success? And I'm going to seed your answer with something you said pre-show. And, and, and this may or may not be where you want to go with it, but I think, I think it would be interesting to hear your perspective. When I said, man, you're killing it. You're doing a really great job. You said, well, I just let's take advice from a lot of people. So is that one of your keys to success too? I believe it is. I, I believe it, you know, th there are going to be all kinds of people from all different walks of life that try to tell you, Oh, you should be doing it this way, or you should be doing it this way. But it, it's, it's so funny to, you know, I, I really like to hear not only the people that have been successful, but the ones that have made a lot of mistakes and maybe, you know, they, they weren't successful or, you know, they're, they're in a different phase of what's going on. So I, I can, I can appreciate where they're at or what they've gone through and, and take little nuggets from, from what they're saying and kind of spin that into my own. And, um, you know, my, uh, my mentors obviously have, have changed a bit over the years to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking at the people that have already been where I'm at now. Um, because, you know, I think that's one, that's a big key for me is making sure that I listen to the people that have at least done what I'm doing. Um, that's a, that's a big key for me. Um, you know, the people that might be out making, you know, hundred million a year or whatever it is that they're making that they, they, they understand where I'm at. And, and that's a, that's a, that's a big key personally for me. So when you started out in sales, was there a particular sales methodology, coach, book, or a person that you learned how to sell from? Is there a person or somebody that you look up to that helped advise you in that? It's kind of funny. My, my grandmother uh, was in sales for Haverty's Furniture for 20 years. And um, she was the one when I was looking to go to umpire school, she's like, you can go to umpire school, but you know, when you get through with all this stuff, uh, you need to, you need to understand sales, sales, you need to understand it. So, you know, she's the one that kind of took me over and showed me how mattresses are made and, and, you know, how to, how to let somebody test out a mattress and then take me over to the, the reclining sofas and things like that. So, you know, I just respected her and, and, and what she did and how she did it and, um, and kind of watched her. And, and I, I would say if, if I had a sales mentor, it was probably my, my grandmother, is she still with us? Um, who today? I named for? No, she she passed away actually in um, in 2016, um, 2015 or 16. I was I was in in the point of of getting ready to buy my stores, and uh, she got cancer, uh, the cancer of the blood, and, and passed away. Mm. Um, but in, until her, uh, you know, in, until her her last her last days, we were still talking sales and. And uh, I remember visiting her in, in the hospital and us talking, you know, where, where sales has taken us and, and where, where it has gotten us to and, and what my plans for the future were. And, and uh, yeah, it kind of, kind of brings back some, some, you know, lots of memories, even, even talking about this. It, it's pretty neat. I, I, I don't stop and think about those often enough now of, of those times of, of her teaching me. And that, that's really neat. I appreciate that. What did, what did you call your grandmother? My, my grandmother was Nana. Nana. Uh, that's what my Nana kids, was, that's what my kids call my wife's mom. They call her Nana. Well, and, and my kids call uh, they, my mother-in-law um, uh, Nana. And it, it's so cool. I, you know, just to, to, it's, it's what I grew up calling, calling her. And yeah. uh, so Nana, Nana was always there for me. She, you know, uh, she, she was there at my ball games when I was, I was little and, and she was there to the, the coolest thing when I was a kid is she would take me to breakfast 
she lived out of town. She lived in central Florida, but she would come up um, several weekends a month and she would take me to McDonald's for breakfast on Saturday morning. And that, that was our time to talk. Uh, my parents never interrupted that. Um, I, nobody, I was the only grandson, everybody, you know, a, a family full of girls and I was the only grandson. And uh, that man uh, brings back a lot of memories. Wow. Thinking about it. Well, here's to Nana for her influence on you to become a salesperson. And then, uh, you know, uh, may she rest in peace. And I know that I know that her influence has not gone unnoticed. Sometimes you might not think about it, but it hasn't gone unnoticed. It caused you to eventually go into sales business. And now she would be so proud of you, I'm sure, with 16, 16 stores under your belt and you're killing it. What's, what's next for you, man? Like, are you, are you, you're going to, you're going to buy 16 more or are you going to start selling them off? What, what's, what's the big plan? It, it, it's kind of funny. I, so I, I, we, I've gotten into a, a venture um, with furniture sales training, specific, specific uh, furniture sales training. And so I kind of started this just for our group. I, you know, I went to, to Brad Lee out at Lightspeed VT and said, Hey dude, I, you know, I, I, I searched high and low, Googled everything. There, there is no furniture specific sales training out there. And um, so about a year and a half ago, I said, man, my people need better than what, you know, better than what I can do. We're, we're big enough now that I, I can't get to every store enough to make sure that I'm, I'm in there. You know, I've got my, my store managers, I've got my regional managers, but I want to still have a hand. I want them to see my face and to know that I'm still intimately involved in the business. And um, so I, I went to Bradley and said, look, I'll start cutting some videos and, um, and, and so that my, my sales associates can use that sales training on a daily basis. And uh, we actually just got picked up by the Home Furnishings Association of America, uh, who has 12,000 furniture stores. They, they are, they're the, you know, the, they're the NADA of, of furniture, so to speak. Um, but they just picked up our, our, our sales training and uh, they're, they're going to uh, push that out. To, so we, we're changing the name from, you know, our, our little pride, more fully furnished sales that we had going. We're changing, changing that name right now to HFA Sales Academy or something like that. So uh, kind of a, a very unexpected sales training venture that we're, uh, we're headed down now. Well, congratulations on that. I'm excited to see where that goes for you, because if you kill it the way you've killed just owning and growing stores, that's really going to be your wealth building machine because, you know, that that's a that's a easily replicatable process that doesn't require any extra time from you. Is if I'm if I'm reading this right. Exactly. So that's, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's I'm, awesome. I'm man. excited. I'm really excited. Well, I want you to I want you to as we finish up our discussion today, I want you to kind of talk to our listeners specifically. So we've got listeners that are on the early spectrum, early uh, you know, time, early on the timeline of becoming entrepreneurs, maybe even pre-entrepreneurs up to folks that are killing it like you that are just there. They own tons of stores or tons of businesses. They're doing a hundred million dollars a year. They're killing it. I, I want you to take a minute to speak to that first side of the spectrum. These folks that are just getting started that maybe, maybe they're sitting on the fence. They don't know yet. And, and there's, I know that that person is listening to this show right now. They don't know what to do. They're listening to the root of all success with the real Jason Duncan. They're listening to guests like Matt Pridemore. How do I become successful? What do I need to do? What's so what would you say as a successful entrepreneur in the franchise world, right? You didn't go found it, but you took it and grew it tremendously. And now you're founding this training organization. What would you say as a very successful entrepreneur to those people about where they are in their journey and what advice would you give them? 
I would say my, my biggest advice is something we talked about earlier is betting on ourselves. Don't be afraid to bet on yourself, but also if you're going to, then go all the way. There are going to be bumps in the road the entire way you are going there. You're, you're, you're never going to be fully ready to just jump into this thing. So, you know, you, you, sitting back and saying, Oh, I'll, I'll be ready if, if I can just do this, or I'll, I'll be ready if I can just do this. That there is no better time than now to to jump in and, and and go after your dreams because if you're not growing, you're basically dying. And and you know that that's how that's how business is, that's how sales is, that's how anything I've seen. But making sure that you do put a network around yourself of mentors, people that have been where you want to go. But in doing that, don't just look at what value you can get out of those mentors. It has to be a two-way street. We talk about the term value constantly. And that value, you have to figure out a way that you can bring that person value that they feel, you know, the, the reciprocity type type mentality of making sure, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to bring this guy value and he's going to bring me value. And it's a back and forth type thing. And that's going to create your network for you. And I think, you know, Jason and uh, myself and you know many others have kind of gone through what you're looking to go through as an early entrepreneur. One of the things that we, we have all done is we've created the networks that are around us that I'm sure we could probably pick up the phone right now for anything we could think of. And we've got somebody in our network that can help us in some capacity, but those people at this point, they want to help us because we have helped them. We have brought them value in some way that if, if something's wrong with my car or my house or, you know, medical or a little, you know, no matter what it is, it, it's in our network. It's in our phone. We we've, we've got that. And you can do the same thing. You don't have to start out with a million bucks to get to a place where you've got that network behind you, but then go. And, you know, the, the biggest gap there that I see a, a lot of leaders not understanding is when you go into business ownership, you have to, it's kind of like having kids. Like when you have kids, you've got to put your kids in there and make sure that they are taken care of. And in, in much the same way, Every single day, I'm, I'm making sure that the people that are around me are taken care of, the employees, the team, the leadership, making sure that they are taken care of. Because if I take care of them at a really high level, I can promise you they are going to take care of their team. They're going to take care of the customers as long as they feel support from me at the CEO level. I, I'm at the point now of not managing people. I'm managing processes. And so that's the big, the big difference there. You're going to go through all these different steps that, you know, Jason has talked about on, on other podcasts. And I know I'm getting kind of winded here. Feel free to jump in, but I mean, do, do you kind of see where I'm going with all that? Absolutely. I, I, what I'm taking away from that is you got to bet on yourself. And then at some point you got to manage processes, not people. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it, Matt. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you, man. We should hang out. I think that uh, you and I probably have a lot in common. Uh, although you, you were much better umpire than I was. I quit. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, as long as you don't give a big punch out and say safe really loud. I probably did there. something yeah. much dumber than that. I'm pretty sure because the parents told me I was dumb. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I, I liked playing baseball. Yeah, my, but I did not like calling baseball. My, well, my skin got really thick. Thank you. Well, it has to be. It has to be. I mean, I, 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 I think little league 
Little league umpires are treated probably worse than anybody else. I do. Now, one thing I did do, and we didn't talk about this, but I was a, a soccer referee and I was the head of referees for a youth league in White House, Tennessee, where I grew up. And I remember one time the, the parents are still rough there, but you can get away because there's a long field you can run away from. You're not right at the fence. But I remember one dad yelling one time because his daughter got tripped and I called, called the foul, but he was still yelling. And I turned around and did yell and said, listen, I said, sit down and be quiet or I'm throwing you out of the park. And he did. He's like, I can't believe this kid just said that to me because I was still in high school and I said it to him, but, um, but yeah, you got to have thick skin to do what you've done, but congratulations on all your success. Congratulations on the new store that you just bought yesterday. And if anybody's looking to buy furniture, you can look up Badcock home furniture is home furniture and home furniture and more. Yeah. At Badcock home furniture and more. We've been talking with Matt Pridemore, uh, who has been very successful in that business. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show today. I wish you the best of luck in this training thing that you're rolling out. That sounds awesome. And we'll have to check in later to see how that's going. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it, man. Well, there you have it. Another very successful entrepreneur sharing his story to success and a a little bit different journey. And a lot of the entrepreneurs I interview here are founders of businesses, not acquirers or purchasing uh, franchises. But as you can see, Matt's done something pretty amazing to build this huge empire of 16 furniture stores across the Southeast and has plans to uh, increase that and to start this training company for salespeople in the furniture business that's going to produce a more generational wealth for him as an entrepreneur. So, I hope that your desire to be successful is very much like what he thinks success is, that ability to continue to grow and not just for yourself, but for those around you. So if you are interested in growing, if you're interested in figuring out how to get the people around you to grow, I want to invite you to go take a look at this website. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash am I ready? TheRealJasonDuncan.com slash am I ready? And the reason I want you to go there is because on that page, you're going to read a little bit of my story and about how you can determine whether you are ready to exit your business or not and what steps you might want to take or need to take in order to get to a place where you can exit the business, whether you have to sell it or whether you can just walk away from daily operations, let other people run it. I mean, what's it worth to know when you can exit? So it's a tool there called My Exit Timeline Evaluator that you can sign up for. It's a coaching package that I include uh, up to five sessions with you going through your assessment and your timeline to exit. So go check it out. And if you have questions, there's a link on that page at at therealjasonduncan.com slash am I ready where you can book a call with me. We could talk about it. We get to talk about what that what that timeline might look like for you to get out of the weeds of your business and go on to that next big adventure. So make sure you tune in again next week on The Root of All Success when I interview yet again another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. Until then, I am the real Jason Duncan, and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.